0: Hi, I'm John, and I'm Julie.
1: We're the hosts of the Hartford Funds Human Centric Investing Podcast.
0: Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients.
1: Let's go. Julie, this is a unique experience. Usually you're in Washington, I'm in South Carolina, we're in our studios, but today We're at Hartford Funds headquarters in front of a live audience.
0: It's amazing. I am so excited to be here live from the home office. It's incredible.
1: We have a very unique guest since we're here at Hartford Funds home office. Jim Davey, the president of Hartford Funds, is joining us today because you know for advisors who listen to us often, Julie, we don't get perspective from really the the top of the industry. We talk to a lot of advisors, we talk to a lot of thought leaders about practice management, but today's a very unique opportunity.
0: I agree. And I am so excited to welcome Jim Davey, president of Hartford Funds, to our Human Centric Investing Podcast. How are you doing, Jim? Thank you for being here with us today.
1: My pleasure. So Jim, uh, share with our audience a little bit about your background. How did you, one, how did you get in the industry? And two, how did you make your way to Hartford Funds?
2: Okay, John. So I guess, you know, in the industry, just business major in school wanted to be into uh, financial services, wasn't really sure what part of financial services I wanted to get into, but it was a little bit of a unique time period because I started at Merrill Lynch probably six or seven years after 401ks were actually developed. So it was probably, I'd look back on it and say, it was a regulatory change that got me involved in financial services. My first job at Merrill Lynch was in their 401k department, which at the time was a brand new department. So the interesting aspect of it is, I'd probably say Merrill had about 100,000 employees globally at that point in time. There were no experts in 401k. So it was a nice time to walk into the industry and into financial services. And I look back on it and it was uh, such a great opportunity.
1: So, and when was it that you came to the Hartford and what kind of led you here?
2: Um, then a little over a decade later, uh, came to the Hartford and in the same capacity back in 2002 to uh, run their 401k area. And it was, it was a big step up for me At Merrill Lynch, I was more on the product management side, and then at the Hartford, it was the whole ball of wax. So it was, you had operations, sales, product. Uh, It was very neat. It was a great opportunity. And I still had Merrill Lynch as our biggest client. So it was a nice little little connectivity there for us to uh, get started with.
0: Jim, oftentimes, John and I talk about this all all the time with our, between ourselves and with the financial advisors that we chat with about culture. And it's something that I think we can feel oftentimes in a great culture, is something that feels really amazing to be a part of. How would you describe the culture here at Hartford Funds?
2: Uh, Julie, I would say I start with we have an entrepreneurial environment. We're not a large firm. It was, we have about 375 employees. So on any given day, you're wearing quite a few hats. And I think that leads to an environment where you kind of just have a can-do attitude. And sometimes it's a, I have to improvise, like an entrepreneur. So I think that would be the first characteristic I would say about our, our culture and then the other one i think because of the nature of our business we partner you know we partner with wellington we partner with Schroeder's, uh we we outsource a good uh, amount of our um, our operations to state street or others and i think it it also invokes a partnership environment even in here you partner back and forth with folks and uh So that would be the next one I'd say, I think we're built upon partnerships. So when you take the entrepreneurial aspect and the partnership component, it leads to a pretty neat environment, a fun environment, um, not a, you know, today's just another day, I'm gonna do the same thing I did yesterday. I don't think that really happens around here that much.
1: So Jim, thinking about that entrepreneurial spirit, if we pull back the curtain for the advisors who are listening to say, how does Hartford Funds evaluate new products, whether they're new funds, whether they're new vehicles? How do you resist chasing the new shiny object and really land on something that you think will be a sustainable success? What, what does that process look like?
2: It, it's, it's a, uh, it starts with, again, partnerships. So we're fortunate enough to have access to everything Schroeders and Wellington does They are global asset managers, Uh, between the two of them, they have over $2 trillion in assets, $2 trillion. So anything we can think of that we would need uh, to, to participate in the retail environment we have at our disposal. So I would start there, then a lot of it wouldn't be that different than other firms. I think we think about what is happening institutionally and the trend is usually what is hot institutionally, will start to roll down to more of a retail environment. So that I don't think is that different. Um, the, The other component, the overlay on it though, we have the advantage of being very focused. We are a retail based firm. Everything we do is through an intermediary and I'll say it that way, either a financial advisor, a benefit consultant, we really do not go direct to the end client. So a little bit different. And the beauty of it is it lets us focus in one area of uh, the entire marketplace. That helps not chase the shiny toy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that is, uh, helps keep us a little bit grounded. And then again, as I say, you always have that overlay of because we go through intermediaries, we're always thinking about the intersection of what is the marketplace looking for right now? What are the advisors looking for right now? Go to our breadth of capabilities and where our strengths and wherever they intersect, that's a great spot for us to be thinking about. Do we have a gap in our lineup or is there an enhancement that's needed? Or are we, are we ready to roll right now with an existing uh, strategy that maybe we just have to think a little bit different about?
0: I know we're always thinking about what the advisor needs in their practice and in their team. How have you seen the role of the wholesaler evolve over the past few years? And in your mind, what does that look like now and really even going forward?
2: I think the the wholesaler today, they need a mindset of how am I helping my clients, the advisors? How do I help them, one, retain their existing uh, clients that they deal with every day. We all wanna retain our clients, right? That, that's where you're the base or the foundation of a good business model. So how do we do that? How are we relevant? How are we bringing relevant information to the advisor? I'd start there. And then I'd have the overlay of, okay, what can I do to help you build out? Uh, I think a lot of the, our broker dealer partners will just talk about net new clients. You know, we'll talk about net organic growth. So the net component—how do you constantly grow organically? That's really important, and that's one of the one of the components that I think a wholesaler today has to think about all the time. Uh, I, the business has gotten complex because it's not a financial advisor is not going to just think about an investment strategy when they think about their clients and how they interact with them. You know this. There's a it goes the whole gamut. And um, so for us, it's a lot of, how else can I help you inform your clients at whatever part of the, the lifespan of that relationship is in? If it's a new client and it's a younger client versus somebody ready for retirement, am I talking about Medicare, Social Security? It's not, It's just not investment. So I think the uh, what you all do is really important for us about hey, how can I bring other uh, pieces of information that really help me interact with the clients is really important to well, us.
1: People always ask Julie and I, like, how do we how do we do what we do at Hartford Funds, especially with things like from the MIT age lab. And oftentimes, we're going back to say, look, yes, it's our team, but it's an investment that Hartford Funds has made really since 2011, 2012. I mean, whether it was your brilliant foresight, Jim, or... We just got lucky or we saw it coming. But some of that content is really some of the best engagement that we can offer financial advisors and the firms that we work with. So uh, again, on our behalf, thanks for the investment. But I think even for our audience listening to the podcast, this is all part of it. So, Jim, if, if we take you back a little bit, you know, you described how long you've been in the industry. But from a very high level, what changes have you seen in the industry over time? is you know I know fees are one topic that constantly come come up uh, the business change from a commission model to a fee-based model in, in many areas of the industry are, are these as a product manufacturer are these the kind of things you kind of you look back on and try and figure out where things are going in the future and which of those things do you think you would say has had the biggest impact on the industry over your tenure
2: yeah, um, John, I think I would start with the advisor themselves and how, as a, as a client, you would interact with an advisor. And if you go back to the 90s, it, it may just be an individual advisor. You know, I have my financial advisor and I'm, I'm going to talk about my plans. And at that point, it might have been just saving in my 401k plan. And then you know you get married and what's the next thing? Do I have life insurance? You have kids? I need a 529 plan. What kind of a mortgage should I take out? Uh, you know, you just go through that and you see all of a sudden that it's not just an advisor now, it's, it's a team. And I'm, I'm dealing with other folks besides just who I was first introduced to. So from a relationship standpoint, I think it's gotten much more sophisticated than it was and it will continue to do that. I firmly believe it will continue to become more sophisticated. From a product standpoint, I would say, you know, there's clearly been a lot of innovation in financial services. Sometimes people would would think that there's this is not an industry that has a lot of innovation. I think it's subtle and it really does have an impact. So again, I would say, you know, You'd start with the mutual fund or actually back then, maybe I'd just say stocks and bonds. Mm-hmm. And then you would start to think about managed accounts, mutual funds, SMAs. The introduction of ETFs for trading was incredible. Uh, so it, the products evolve, then the strategies evolve. And we've seen all that. It's not the you know Morningstar style boxes. It's what else do we have from thematic um, investments to, uh, very thinly sliced asset classes. Everything just, again, evolves there. And then the last component that I'd overlay on all of it is pricing and margin. And how, how does an FA think about their business model? They're going to interact differently with their clients based on the inter, the business model that they want to pursue. So again, back in the day, it might have been uh, loads on mutual funds and hold those funds forever and maybe buy a lot of the same fund family so that I could drive the the price of the load down, have the accumulation effect to um, to basically get to uh, in advice for, for a fee and now I'm going to do a wrap on everything and we're going to get rid of the load uh, to now I'm going to bring in different type of investments that hopefully are cheaper so that I'm driving the cost down for my, for my client, the end consumer. And that is, that's constantly happening, but that happens everywhere. It happens in every industry. So uh, you wanna become more productive, more efficient. And uh, obviously that has an impact on margins and they get squeezed. And I think that's going to continue to happen in this industry. But I think at the end of the day, those are all great components. For the client. Uh, we just have to uh, always think about how, how we compete and introduce what we can do in the marketplace uh, very strategically.
0: As you think about all of those components, in your mind, what do you perceive as some of the biggest challenges that lie ahead for the industry?
2: So the first one, I think, I'm going to start with with products because it's it's been a challenge right now, so it's top of mind for me. Uh, you know, again, I've I said I've been with the Hartford for over 20 years now, and this is about the first time I can ever remember we have to compete against cash. And it's, it's been a learning process, I think, for the industry. You know, I'll look back at this year's gross sales industry-wide and they're down about 35 percent because you can earn five percent to just leave your money sitting in cash right now and and i'll think about where i can go from there so that's an obstacle that we will overcome we'll we'll we'll, we're working on that one how you how you make a money market fund or cash an asset class again and, and incorporate that into your overall asset allocation but the the opportunity of it is now rates are up higher and fixed income you can actually get yield on fixed income that's a great that's a great outcome, so it's just it's there's always restarts for us in the industry this is one of those restarts so I think about that today, and where do we go from here? Another challenge is you know I think for two or three years it was the fangs we'd talk about the fangs and um, the overweight to them in asset allocations again, either in a uh, individual's account, owning those securities or in an index, you know, how much they would make up of the index. Now I think we're up to the magnificent seven. So we'll, we'll throw that out there. And the challenge there then is for active management, who's not going to have those weights to all of those companies in their portfolios. If they're the, the seven or five firms that are driving returns or an outsized portion of returns, it is now hard to beat your index. And that's a, that's a tough conversation. So it's another it's another component. But I, I would always say, um, as long as I've been around, and some of the thoughts and comments I just said, it seems like I've been around longer than I thought I was, uh, it, it, there's always a reversion to the mean. And I think that will happen, and I think there are great companies out there that are undervalued in in portfolios across our industry, not just Hartford Funds, that will shine again, and um, we will have, as active management, better days ahead of us. So, Jim, I was going to ask you
1: about active management, because there seems, we were just talking about changes, but there seems to be some things that You've kind of guided our firm in the direction of active management being one. So I was going to ask you about why your deep-seated belief in active management. But a second one is obviously with all the technology that comes at us right now, there, there has had to been temptations over the years to say, hey, why don't we just start this little thing going direct to consumers, right, and let them. But you seem to have remained committed, as you mentioned earlier to the intermediary, the financial intermediary. So just a couple of comments on active management and the role of the advisor and why those are two core tenants that you believe in.
2: Yeah, no, I think that it's a great question, John. Thank you for asking it because I think it's the core of what we do, how we have built Hartford funds. So I'll start with, I think we're a unique firm. We people will say you're sub advised, right? And I'd say, yes, we are, but we're not like any other sub advised firm out there. We deal with two asset managers and that's it. We're not a manager of managers. We don't deal with 40 different uh, asset managers and fire and replace and hire. We don't do any of that. We take advantage of the great capabilities that Wellington and Schroeders brings to us. From an active standpoint, I get to see that every day. And I believe that they, with their active decision-making and the investment professionals that they have, they can add alpha and beat an index. And I firmly believe that. So I'd start, I'd start right there. And then I layer on that investment management is complicated and it's especially active management because you know, as you know, you've been to board meetings with me that you have to talk to the board about the, the decisions they make. What is the benchmark? It's not just the S&P 500. What is, what's the objective of the fund? And you have to, you go through those iterations uh, to talk about, are you, are you creating alpha? And more importantly, are you, is there a value in the risk adjusted returns our clients are, are, are seeing um, from the funds that the advisors are picking out for them? When I say all that, I could cut it down to, it's really complicated. And I believe active management is best served with advice, and that's why we've the core tenant has always been: we're retail, we go through intermediaries, our clients are best served with the advice they give them, and period. That's that's where I'd stop. Mm-hmm.
0: It makes sense. If you think about that advice, and we're you know obviously uh, the financial advisors that are listening right now, that's what they're in their seats providing advice to their clients, and and all of the different variables every single day with the market volatility and and inbound client requests, and thinking about that, how do you think that we can continue to deliver great um, ideas and insights to them as we go forward?
2: A lot, a lot of it is listening you know so I think a lot of great decisions are just made through listening my wife tells me that all the time <laughs> uh, so that I, I'd start there they're going to mm-hmm. give us great feedback they're going to give everybody great feedback and the firms that listen and figure out how to interact with them and then deliver something that is going to create value for both sides are going to win so that's that's an important component when we it's more than a component it's actually a resource to have the advisor give you that kind of intelligence of hey this is what i'm missing in my book of business for 30 percent of my clients and to be able to get that and utilize it it's your own think tank it's it's a lab uh, so that's a that's a very important component for us jim many of the advisors listening are
1: they head up their teams, they play influential roles at their firms. Uh, You've managed through the great financial crisis of 2008, 9, 10, whatever those years were that we tried to erase from our memories. But now we're back in challenging times again. You know, 2022, one of the most upside down years in markets that people ever had to deal with. What are some of the core tenets that you would share with our listeners about leading a team through challenging times. What do you think about what are the most important things that you want to reinforce even when the winds aren't behind your back?
2: So uh, I'd start, I would start with the experience that you bring to the table, that there's there's always a challenge. If this was easy, it's just not. So there's always a challenge that you're going to deal with. And you know, I remember. I remember uh, my first day at the Hartford, and again, you know, I'm coming from Merrill Lynch, and all I think about are markets and uh, and investment strategies that we can roll out in our 401k plans that'll be helpful for all the participants in those plans. And we had we had an issue from our insurance side. And our stock went down about 20% on the first day. I was thinking to myself, wait a second, I have to start watching the Weather Channel too? <laughs> and, you know, there's so there's, but there's always issues and you, you manage through them. And it's one of, one of those, uh, another characteristic that I love about advice. I think one of the most important things, and this is, you could say it for a leader or for a financial advisor or or financial advisors team is to create a strategy or a plan. So for us, it would be a strategy and and how are we gonna go execute and move forward and be a better firm three, five years down the road. For an advisor, it might be how do I build a 20 year plan that there's gonna be changes along the way, but you stick to the core uh, uh, of what you want to achieve and as an advisor you've the ability to calm people down and say remember what we're doing remember what we've we started here and this is the direction we want to go to get there and it's to me that is one of the most important things of of advice when to do things when not to to do others you know um buy and hold kind of works Sometimes you have to make adjustments to it and, and they're, they're relevant to get you to, to achieve the outcome you want, but just the let me calm you down and step back for a second. And I think about some of those periods you brought up and um, there, if you think about even just the last 10 or 12 years, what has happened and what has driven markets sometimes were really meaningless a year later. Uh, So, it's always take a step back, take a deep breath, remember what you're trying to do to begin with and keep going forward.
0: It's interesting, Jim, and, and the conversations that John and I have with advisors, you know, not only do they find themselves in situations where they're having to, you know, lead clients through difficult times, but they also find themselves oftentimes as their practice becomes more and more successful, they're leading many people right they're the rainmaker on the team but also they may have 5 7 10 15 20 individuals on their team and so essentially they're they're leading all of these humans on on their team when you think about your leadership strategy and, and your process what what resources in your life do you draw upon to continue your leadership journey are there mentors are there books podcasts you know what is your professional development look like that you could share with our audience?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I start, I just start with home. So you guys know I'm the youngest of 10. So my parents had to lead a team anyway. So <laughs> I, I got to see all of that um, from the, from the right hand side of my dad all the way down the table. So I, I would just start there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chaos all the time and you just you figure out your own your own style because you can't you you can't i don't believe you can adjust to a different type of personality so i I can't get up in front of a group and be very entertaining and start throwing out jokes left and right and be myself that's not what i do Uh, i i think that one just know who you are and you're going to be much more comfortable much more effective whatever you're trying to communicate. So I, I, I've always drawn that one from the house. Mm-hmm. And then like everybody else, there's teachers, there's coaches. Um, Mine are more real life experiences, how people have handled situations, what I liked, what I didn't like, mm-hmm. so I know what to avoid. And I, and I try to keep it really simple. And, the, and then the other aspect, so that's, that's where I would start, at least for myself, and then I'm sure if you talk to any one of your successful teams out there from a financial advisor standpoint, they're just going to say, I'm just going to hire the best people. I'm going to hire the best people and keep us all on the same page. Uh, and that's what I try and do here. And I think we, we have a very good group. Um, when I look at our 375 people, I feel really good about it.
1: Jim, one of the things we get asked about all the time, and actually we do a number of podcast episodes on, is how do people find balance in this ever connected world? Like, it seems like business can go on 24 seven if we let it, a lot of advisors say, you know, I'm tired, I'm worn out, especially with the markets we've had for the past couple of years. What does Jim Davy do to disconnect and keep things fresh? How do you kind of refresh yourself in the role that you play here at Hartford Funds?
2: There's there's a couple there's a couple answers there, John. One is I, I'll start with what we do as a business and I love what we do. So I never feel like, you know, I have to go home and just shut down because I'm completely exhausted. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. So I'll start with that. But there are periods where you say, right, I've been on the phone all day with 40 different folks, I can't talk. My my mouth doesn't work anymore. And, you, you know, you, you just kind of relax and um, and take it easy. There's also, you know, I love I love the do not disturb on the phone. Just hit it, turn it off and, you know, I'll catch up later. Um, so I, I think there's there are ways. But I would say this, that it's impossible to shut down and recharge if you don't like what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. you're always going to be thinking about it or dreading it, um, you, you, it's imperative that you feel like when I do go to work, it's something I love. Uh, I I feel like I'm additive, and I feel like the company appreciates me. And if you can do that, the whole recharging thing is different. Now it's it's not recharging; it's taking advantage of you know, other other components of your life and really enjoying them. But I do I do think that's an important one that every now and again, you step back and say, is this right? Is this right? I mean, let's face it. The last three years, you can basically go from one role to another, one industry to another, one part of the country to another or one part of the globe to another and still have access to great employment and at really good wages. So I start with that. Make sure make sure you're there and then and then move forward.
0: That's great. Well anybody that knows me knows that I'm constantly striving to raise the bar of professionalism. That's just a, a, a personal core belief of mine. When you think about your your life and your role, what lessons in professionalism do you hope that your kids learn from you or do you hope to pass down to them?
2: Oh, good, great one. You know, we talk about this. We just really started talking about this because I have a freshman and a sophomore in college. And, um, you know, they're at that age where all of a sudden there's internships, there's interviews. It's not just hand in the application anymore. Right. And hopefully you get, you get hired. Um, and we, we do talk about it. And what I just said is something I stress to them is, hey, I don't care what you are what you do, what you graduate with, um, but find something you like that you want to enjoy and uh, figure out how you bring value. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great start. They also see me interact with folks here and they, they come right out and say, boy, dad, you, you have a lot of fun with the, the people you work with. I say, yeah, I do, I do. I always have to step back though and say, listen, it's not we had fun and decided to work together. We work together, we respect each other a lot for what we bring to the table and accomplish and we trust each other. So having fun is easy after that. So I, that's one of the big ones I, I try and stress to them. And then just, you know, they've got to experience it themselves. You can't, there's not too much you can say. So I, but it's a good, It's we have fun with this right now. This is a, this is a fun point of uh, where we are with uh, the two boys.
1: So Jim, what's a couple of things that our listeners would not learn about, and even our audience is sitting here with us. A couple of things that people would not know about Jim Davy by reading your bio. What are some of those inside insights that maybe a lot of people don't know about Jim, but if you had to think about him, you'd say, you know, even if I think about him myself, it's kind of different.
2: Let's see, I'll, I'll, I'll try and come up with a couple ones. Uh, you know, I did, I asked my wife this once and she said, right off the, the bat, she said, you love rocking chairs. Rocking chairs. Ooh. Rocking chairs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's not on my bio, that's lower. Yes, I and we do. need to add that to the bio. I do yeah. like rocking chairs. And John, you know this, I can't sit still anyway. So <laughs> like, even this is hard right now to sit here for a minute or two. So that kind of comes in with the theme of the rocking chair. Another one, I, I hate being by myself. Uh, I always <laughs> make people sense. around. Uh, my wife again would say she'll go out to the store and come home. And there's ten people now <laughs> yeah. uh so that that does happen too it's is that a function of the ten child family it is. You think oh, yeah it is. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah I like, always somebody I like interaction and yeah, so it's definitely a function of that and that those ten kids now i forty nieces and nephews, so <laughs> oh. it gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> it should be easy for you though. yes um what else what else? that I would think about that you wouldn't know about me. I don't know, I think I'm pretty transparent. I think everybody knows my sports teams. Um, Our listeners may not. Uh, We're we're a dysfunctional family. I'm a Red Sox fan, my wife's a Yankees fan. Um, It's worse in football, I'm a Jets fan, she's a Giants fan. My son Jimmy is a Patriots fan. Oh. Oh, wow. So it's really dysfunctional on that side.
1: But now you can all agree on the Eagles since you're here in the Philadelphia area headquarters, right? We solved that
2: problem for you. I always say that, uh, you know, when the Philly teams win, it's good for morale. <laughs> and that's where I stopped. <laughs> Unfortunately today, the timing of this one isn't so great. <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for that insight. and. You know, because it is the human centric investing podcast, if you're willing, we would love to move into the lightning round of questions sure. and ask you a few questions, just top of mind answers. Um, so, John, do you want to kick us off here?
1: Sure. Jim, scale of one to 10. 10. <laughs>
2: How good of a driver are you? 10. There it is. There it is. You knew it
1: before I asked.
0: Are you a morning person or a night person?
2: I'm a morning person. Dogs or cats? Dogs all the time. What I'm kind of dog, dog do you have? Bernice Mountain Dog, named Fenway. Nice, named Fenway. And your wife agreed to that. It's the only way she was getting a dog. <laughs> <laughs> got to hold a trump card every now and again. So I got to name the dog and I get to own the garage. I don't get any any say in the house. But there the we it's fair. The garage fair. with a dog named Fenway. I like Very it. Good. Got it.
0: What's your favorite food?
2: Anything Italian. So I'm 100% Irish love anything italian your favorite Favorite holiday this will be a weird one for you memorial day weekend really yeah why you know it's the be for us it's the beginning of summer we love the beach uh it's just always been a family um get together so we have all of my family at the uh the house on memorial day weekend um it's just it's always been it's always been a great awesome That is, that is a unique awesome. Life, I love right? that. My right. grandfather became a ci- citizen fighting for the U.S. in World War One. My dad fought in World War II. My oldest brother was Vietnam. Wow. So it's it's a it's a great, it's a yes. great yes. holiday that for us. Awesome. Awesome. We love it.
0: What's the best age?
2: I keep I keep thinking it it keeps getting better. So I don't know. I you know I would say for me. When they were infants, I loved like they'd fall asleep on you. And it's just a water bottle, hot water bottle on you. So there's different components. Then little league, coach little league, and have fun there. And now with them, um, you know, we go out and see football games together and it's, it's awesome. So it just keeps getting better. So I don't know. I don't know what the best age is. Do you keep a to-do list? And if so, is it on paper or is it digital? I do keep a to-do list and it is on paper. And I Julie would be a big oh, fan.
0: Oh, yeah. Don't you love to cross the things
2: off? That's I do. I love part. and I love crossing dates off once you hit a milestone on something. Oh, those are I those are highlight. I don't even cross oh, out. You no, know, Julie actually I, puts things on her list that I she's do. already done. Just I so just she can,
1: so can cross, it
0: cross it off. It feels, it feels so good. Feels so,
2: awesome. I, I, think, I do. It's I a problem. Mentally, that's it's, awesome. It is an amazing, class. Everybody process. feels better as you achieve something. You do. So oh, I, just, I'm a big fan of that. My Maybe husband's I'll like, did
0: you just write that? That you just did,
2: <laughs> you should put it on Google. there and then and just go, right. think
0: about all that. Yeah, you got and then done. you can like yeah. walk Even around your office done like done this, it, yeah. oh, it, yeah. it's amazing. It's energizing. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite board game growing up?
1: Risk. That's a good one. Made family members mad at one another constantly. Yeah. And closely related to that. But what did you want to be when you grew up? A relief pitcher. You didn't want to be the president of a mutual fund yeah, company. I still want to be a relief pitcher. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Sometimes, well, now they make you face three batters. Probably better when you only know, had to pitch to one. The one, and right?
2: Tough outing today. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Would you rather binge watch a TV show or watch a movie?
2: A movie. Yeah, he getting sucked in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, would you rather, rather read a book or listen to an audio
2: book? I'd rather read a book. Yeah.
0: Tea or coffee.
2: Neither. I don't like anything hot.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: No. Never had a cup of coffee. Never had really? a cup of tea. Yeah, of okay. iced tea. I love coffee ice cream. Okay, here we go. That's cheating, though. I love all ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, even as a kid, I didn't like hot chocolate. Really? Yep.
1: Okay. If you could go anywhere in the United States or the world for free, where would you take your wife? Where would you go?
2: We love Grand Cayman. And that's an expensive one, so free. Free money. She wants to go to Rome, mm-hmm. so that would be a good one. I would, I would like mm-hmm. Rome. We love London. We've never been to Bermuda. It's my favorite place in the world. You it, know, it's we we always struggle with it because when it's the weather's nice there, the weather's nice here, yeah. so it's not an escape. It's mm-hmm. that we have to make a destination, but we'll we'll get there. So, and you know. I always kid about like New Zealand, Australia, or, mm. but it's just too far for me. That was um, a good answer. Back. I asked you for one. You gave me like six thinking about it, I've been thinking about you. We just yeah. had our 25th wedding anniversary. Awesome. Congratulations. And, uh, we didn't go anywhere yet specifically because we were at in South Bend, I, which I thought was a great 25th. Well, oh, there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have to plan that, uh, you know, after football season's over,
0: add it to the to-do list, add it
2: to the to-do list. Go.
0: Um, would you rather travel to the past or to the future?
1: To the future. Well, Jim, thanks very much for being on the podcast today. I mean, I think uh, your insights are invaluable, especially for our listeners who oftentimes are, they're leading their own teams through uncertain times. So we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to spend some time with Julie and I.
2: Yeah, no, my pleasure. And I'd end it with, you know, one of the things that I've always said, I love financial services. Because you should be leaving every night feeling like you did something that was valuable that you helped, and there's not there's not that's not always the case. So it is it's a terrific industry, and again, I, I would always go back to if if you really love the industry, you're gonna you're going to probably have much better odds of being successful than not.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human-Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube.
1: And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Talk to you soon.
1: The MITH lab is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Hartford Funds. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Fixed income security risks include credit, liquidity, call, duration, and interest rate risk. As interest rates rise, bond prices generally fall.